everybody, my name is Remy. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with your host, Jen Hatmaker, my mom. She writes books and speaks to crowds, but she mostly loves talking to amazing people on this podcast every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, everybody, Jen Hatmaker here. Welcome to the show. This is the For the Love podcast, and I am your very happy hostess. Um, loving the space, loving you, certainly loving my guests. We are in the middle of what I think is a really powerful series. Um, it's called For the Love of Exploring Our Faith, and we have invited faith practitioners across the spectrum. I mean, you name it, we've got that genre represented. And I just think it makes for a really diverse and broad and powerful series. And I'm learning so much and I'm so grateful um, that I'm living at the same time as some of these amazing people. So today um, is one of the first people I asked to be on this series. And her name is Austin Channing Brown. And she's one of my favorite people that I follow. Um, I consider her a mentor, somebody that I'm watching and listening to and learning from constantly. She's a writer. She's a speaker. Um, she's a practitioner who helps schools and nonprofits and religious organizations and churches practice genuine inclusion. That is her mission. Um, her writings appeared everywhere. Christianity Today, Relevant, everywhere. Um, so she's got a new book coming out in May that I want to be the focus of our conversation today in this episode. Um, and her book is called I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness. I mean, boom. Um, oh, let me just put it right out there up front. I love this book. I wrote an endorsement for it. Um, and I think this is a super important message and she is a super wonderful messenger. Um, I think her message is it's devastating and it's beautiful and it is haunting and, um, it will move us. That's what's going to happen. It's going to move us. So Austin sort of began her journey as a racial reconciler in college through an experience that we're going to talk about called, um, Sankofa which was a three-day bus trip exploring Black history sites throughout the South. It was like a pilgrimage. So she's going to tell us a little bit more about that and how it, what it meant to her, how hard it was, how it went sideways, um, and then ultimately sort of laid a path for her. And then, so following her undergrad work, she went on to get her master's in social justice from Mary Grove College in Detroit. And she's worked at some really phenomenal organizations, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, Door Network, um, on the west side of Chicago, a really, really cool organization. Um, she's been on staff at Willow Creek Community Church, um, developing strategies around multiculturalism. Um, and then most recently, she served as a resident director and multicultural li liaison for Calvin College in Grand Rapids. And so um, she's really great for this series. You're going to love hearing from her. This is a good conversation, you guys. It's really strong. Um, it's no holds barred. So we're not messing around. I told her before we started recording, like, this is not a place to edit. Just come right at it. Come at it with your full force and your full weight of knowledge and expertise and experience and passion. And she does it. Um, and so I, I think you're going to love her. If you don't already follow her, you will after this. Um, she is not just smart, wonderful, passionate, but she's also really funny and delightful. So I'm super excited to welcome Austin Channing to the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you Hi, so Karen. much. Oh my gosh. Such a pleasure to so be here. Much. 
Oh, man. Um, you know, I was, I sat down with my team as we were fleshing out who we wanted for exploring our faith and your name was zipped to the top. I mean, absolutely zipped as fast as it can be. And I'm like, let's find, let's get her hurry before she's too busy. <laughs> you're so busy. You're raising a baby. I mean, and they're so demanding. Oh, they are. Like, want oh things gosh. all the time. Well, you're in the weeds. Yes. I mean, you're absolutely in the weeds of parenting. You know, yes. I have big kids. They can like pour their own cereal and, oh. you know, they like wipe their own bottoms. I saw so. your Facebook update the other day about not making Valentine's boxes anymore. And I was like, oh, oh my gosh. God, I'm not even there yet. But you're also in some dreamy years, the dreamy baby toddlery years. They're just, there's something magic about those two. The snuggles are mm-hmm. pretty amazing. And watching him learn everything. So like I watch him stare at his fingers as he opens his fist up and closes it back again. Because Cheers. it's like wondrous to him. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the good stuff. You're making my heart pound. It's so, so... How old is he? How many Six months? months? Yeah. I love six months. Six months is right where I was like, okay, you know what? I think this is going to work. I think this kid can stay. I'm going to make a go of this. Oh my goodness. He's making noises. He's smiling Mm. and laughing. Nobody Mm. told me, Jen, that they don't do that right away. (laughs) I know. They're so (laughs) boring at first. Wait, what? I'm doing all this work and you're not even going to smile? You're not even going (laughs) to look at me? That's awesome. Oh, no. (laughs) Uh, We're going to have to put some pictures of baby on the the transcript because it's just too much. It's just too much. So listen. I gave kind of an overview of your history in our introduction and um, sort of how you have stepped your way all the way into the space that you now lead. But Mm -hmm. um, before we really dive deep into your book, which you know, I love, um, I have read it cover to cover and I love every single page. Um, I, I wonder if you could tell everybody listening specifically about the time leading up to your pretty profound experience. I want to say it correctly. Sankofa? That's it. Mm-hmm. Sankofa. Um, do, can you talk a little bit about what was what was before that and what was that yeah. and how that affected you? Yeah. So I had no idea what it was. Right. <laughs> Even when I kind of got on the bus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, um, in college, my freshman year, I had an amazing roommate um, who's biracial. And Mm -hmm. she was really struggling to sort of figure out what it meant to be a woman of color because she had been raised in a largely white area. Um, Mm -hmm. she was just like, what does it mean to be black? And she's ethnically ambiguous. Um, Uh so you know, she's a woman of color, but you don't know what. So she had heard about this trip that was sponsored by our college. And she was like, Austin, there's really nobody else that I want to go with except you. Mm -hmm. And I think that had to do with me being her roommate. You know what I mean? Not because I was some expert Mm -hmm. at that point. Um, I just knew her and I knew her story. Um, Mm -hmm. And so she didn't have to do a lot of explaining. She could just be on the bus, right? And start start right there. Um, And how do you say no to that, Jen? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I was like, no, that's your Saturday. That's what you're doing. Right? (laughs) Of course I'll be there. So there were a couple classes that we took before. So I discovered that what what happened for most people is um, they had to submit an application and had to sort of talk about their interest in the trip and why they cared about racial justice, um, what they hoped to gain on the trip. And then the folks leading it picked 
folks and paired them up one mm-hmm. black person, one white person. Okay. But because my girl was biracial and was had sort of mm-hmm. a unique situation, she got to pick her person. Okay. I did not know any of this. So then you go through classes that I think it was like three sessions where you talk about black history. And I was like, Ooh, this is some heavy stuff, but it introduced right. me to an amazing, amazing professor um, who taught mm-hmm. African-American history at our college. And that was my first time really getting to know him and meeting him. Um, and it was fun. I had never taken an African-American history class before. Mm-hmm. So even though it was only three sessions, it was like, this mm-hmm. is amazing. Fascinating. Um, right? It was so good. And then came the day for us to get on the bus and they don't tell you where you're going. You just get on the bus. Mm -hmm. So we got on the bus, Jen, and we drove and the story unfolds in the book. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it got a little volatile. (laughs) Things were said. Feelings were hurt. (laughs) Yeah. But it changed everything for me. Tell tell me a little bit more about that. I've read it, but not everybody has yet. They will soon. But talk about sort of what unfolded and what that un- unleashed. Yeah. So we went to a number of historic sites um, that all had to do with slavery and or the civil rights movement. So our first stop was on a plantation um, and it did not go well. We did not learn a whole lot. Um, except how slavery gets romanticized. That's what we learned. That's right. And our bus trip fell apart, Mm. (laughs) but we had to get back on the bus anyhow. And our next trip was to a museum that focused exclusively on lynchings. Yes. And so we walked through this space that was just picture after picture, after picture, after picture Mm. of lynchings. And then when you got finished with the pictures, then there were postcards that said, sorry, we missed you at the barbecue last night. And when you got Mm. finished with that, there were newspaper articles that said, uh, can't wait for the community event tonight. Mm. Um, And then you hit a whole new set of pictures where it's not just a black body hanging in the background. Mm -hmm. It's a sea of white faces smiling and pointing at how great they did. Um, So it was just so dark. It really, I could never explain it, Mm -hmm. but it really felt like for all the African-Americans on that trip, like we were Mm -hmm. staring at our own family members. Like there was just nothing that I didn't need to know names. I didn't need to know the location. Every one of those people belonged to me. Mm -hmm. And we all got back on the bus, Jen. (laughs) Devastating. (laughs) We all got back on the bus. And we, we had a hard time. We yeah. had a hard time trying to talk about it. We had a hard time mm-hmm. trying to wrestle through what we had experienced. Yeah. We, and at one point, a black woman got up on the front of the bus and um, she's a student and she said, you know, I think white people are just evil. I think <laughs> it's just innately evil. It's not your fault. You know, oh, it's, dear. Yeah. You know, it's just the way that it is. And you just oh, bless it. Right. <laughs> Oh, you just God. rape and pillage and steal, and, <laughs> <laughs> and it's not, you know, it's just. So it's just devolving. Right? I mean, it is unraveling. <laughs> As we oh, all stare God. at her in wide-eyed wonder. Oh mercy! And the fact that she was so calm is what made it like really like I think we could have handled it if she had just been like, "I can't believe you guys did Raven. this. This is so awful. You're just evil." But she was like, "No." I'm very like, (laughs) I'm very calm. (laughs) 
Wow. It was bad. And so, yeah, we just kept going back and forth and white students, you know, just threw out every defensive measure they could. Um, What about the Holocaust? Well, my family wasn't here yet. I didn't have anything to do with this. You know, I can't fix this. (laughs) Just anything to not feel Uh it. And Uh then uh, one of my friends, and she's my friend to this day, um, she got up at the front of the bus and she was cute little white girl. And she said, you know, I can see all this pain. And she said, mm. I, I know that I can't fix it. There's nothing that I could say in this moment that would make what we've experienced better. Wow. She said, but she said, what I can do is work for the rest of my life to try to make sure our children don't experience this. So powerful. Right. And she said, mm-hmm. doing nothing is no longer an option for me. Okay. Okay. So this whole experience is obviously profoundly unsettling and moving and it's a catalyst and it's a disruptor. Um, and you're what? Are you 20? I'm like maybe 19. Yeah. yeah. Maybe 20. Yeah. Maybe 19, 20. Yeah. So something there, and, and of course you wouldn't have known it on the spot. You're just a no. young adult, but something yeah. in that experience um, locked in for you. It did. Those words just resonated with me. Yeah. So um, so it wasn't my first time realizing race. There wasn't necessarily anything on this history trips I didn't already know intellectually. Yeah. Um, but it didn't feel like my vocation to do something about it. And when she said those words, my thought mm. was me too. Wow. Me too. Yeah. Doing nothing is no longer an option for me either. You tell us how like vital it is to know historical content, to really, really know Mm -hmm. it, not just ours, but others. And you warn against what you call the dangers of unknowing and misknowing Mm -hmm. um, our histories, which I cannot tell you how much I identify with this. This speaks to my own personal misknowing of what I was taught, what I learned, what I even wanted to see, what I chose to let in. Um, So can you kind of unpack that a little bit? Um, for us, why is this so important? Yeah, I, um, (laughs) so the word Sankofa, I'm going to watch this a little bit, but paraphrasing what it means is, um, looking back to move forward. Okay. And so the very essence of this trip, right. That was sort of my catalyst, um, was that we have to know what, where we've been before we can figure out where it is we're going. And I believe that really strongly. There's a lot of folks not a lot. There are um, church folks who, who would really like mm-hmm. the racial reconciliation, racial justice conversation to begin like today. Mm-hmm. Um, so we start from today and mm-hmm. we build and we just forget about the past and we just ignore that, yeah. <laughs> that anything ever yeah. happened. And yeah. we just start today. The truth is you just can't fix what you don't talk about, right? So you can't fix injustice if you're not going to talk about what the injustice was. Thank you. It's so obvious, except the uh, pervasive conversation around, Mm -hmm. well, you know, just what you said, the same sort of defensive, frantic defenses that you were mentioning for the, from those students on the that's bus right. are the same ones that grown adults now say grown white adults. That's right. That just packaged a little better. Just, well, that was, that's not me, not all white yep. people. Yep. Um, I wasn't here. My people didn't do this. I don't feel that way. I have a black friend, you know, Hello. or black children now. It's just, it's so humiliating and it requires yeah. 
I mean, on the flip side of that word, so much humility and repentance. Yes. And it is not many people are willing to give that reckoning. Um, no. We'd just rather go, well, what can we do today? Yeah. But that's just a comfort mechanism. America's history is just not filled with roses, you know? No. That, and that's your, that's your exact point. I mean, do a deep yep. dive yep. really anywhere. And there's atrocities and human that's rights right. abuses that's and right. racism. And you're right. And so there's nowhere else to start but there. You have yeah. to, or you're not telling the truth. You're not telling the truth. And you're not going to do anything significant. So like that. we could go have coffee together, I guess, and start from like ground zero. And that would be great. You're a lovely person to have coffee with, I'm sure, mm -hmm. Jen. But sure we're not going to fit, you know, but we're not going to fix the education system. We're not going to fix right. mass incarceration. We're not going right. to make um, streets safer for kids, for all kids. We're not going to... Um, that's right. You know, we're not going to fix health disparities or wage disparities mm -hmm. or homeownership disparities. <laughs> like yeah. like you yeah. and I could have a real good cup of coffee, but that's about it. And I think we were made for more than that. So we dig into shame because it's hard. And we mm -hmm. dig into the lies we picked up as children and are still carrying mm -hmm. around in our bodies because it's hard. And we, you know, like everything that we do as humans that is transformative is first hard and that's then right. freeing. And I'm trying, I try really hard in my work to say, yeah, it's hard. I want to be honest about how hard mm -hmm. it is. I don't want to sugarcoat it. I don't want to make it sound like it's not hard. I want yeah. people who are signing up for hard. Who is signing mm. up for hard? Mm. Because we need to be a tribe who does hard things. Mm. And the payout, though, is that we get to be free together. It's so good. So now you and I don't just have coffee together. You and I change the world together. And isn't that what we want? And it's worth it. It's worth it. You're hundred percent right. So like kind of pressing into that idea about having to go back first. Yeah. Um, you've also said that we, we just have to refuse a historical assumptions about, you know, mm -hmm. quote, those people, mm -hmm. those people, and then refuse to give into fear. Yeah. Um, and I like that because truly like once we start knowing one another's stories, one, knowing one another's histories. Yes. Um, we, we, that is, that's the beginning of empathy. That's where empathy starts to grow in that kind of soil. So once empathy begins to crack through in a truly genuine way and, and defensiveness and pride gives yeah. way to humility and truth telling, I mean, it's like a whole new world opens up of possibility, not just communally, like between one another. And I think that's, what's really hard to give voice to Jen and, and maybe only the spirit can, mm. um, is the potential for beauty, right? The fact mm. that we are satisfied with a coffee date is problematic. Mm, great point. Why, why are we satisfied with that? Why don't we mm. want more? Why don't we want the depth that comes from working together, from truly knowing one another, from understanding one another's histories, um, and from considering like you are mine and I mm. am yours, right? Like why the hesitation to experience that mm -hmm. here and now? Yeah, I mean, that's the root to pull up right there. Yeah. That resistance yeah. Um, to that is really something worth examining. And and I like how you say that that is, it's really spirit led and spirit given in so many ways. And that is Absolutely the truth. I mean, the the guidance of Jesus will walk our feet into these spaces, like right. it or not. 
Right. Um, and so I, I love this conversation within the church. Yes. Um, I, I love it in the whole culture and our whole nation. Absolutely. And I, I love it also within the church. Um, and speaking of that, one of the, um, one of my favorite things that, that you say, I love how you, um, as you're speaking to fear, to that kind of fear that keeps us resistant and mm-hmm. sidelined, mm-hmm. um, you give it some biblical context by using Pharaoh from the yeah. Bible as an yeah. example. And I love this because you can speak into the, into the church crowd, right? You know, this is, you are using examples from our book, right. um, which <laughs> I love it. And so I, I wonder if you could talk about that example a little bit and how you, how you suss that out into teaching that is incredibly relevant to this discussion today. I love this passage of scripture. So we Christians talk about um, Moses a lot. <laughs> we, do. we really like him. We do. We like him a lot and for good, very good reasons. Um, but when Moses was first born, there were some women who made his life possible. Hmm. And we don't spend a whole lot of time talking about these women. That's true. Um, and I like this story because I think it parallels American history, like like on a very regular basis. <laughs> Not like it parallels hmm. American history today, but like it paralleled it in slavery and it paralleled That's it. That's right. <laughs> Jim Crow yes. paralleled it with internment camp. Right? Like, it's yeah. like it just. You're right, actually. It just parallel American history. Um, yeah. And so it begins with Pharaoh. Um, not knowing who Joseph was, right? So he doesn't know the history mm-hmm. of these people. Um, and he is mm-hmm. like, what is happening with these Israelites? I don't know who these people are. I don't know where they came mm-hmm. from. What is going on? And he develops fear. Mm-hmm. And that fear becomes hate. And out of hate, he decides that he's just going to kill them. And That's right. um, the way he's going to do that is by having the midwives um, who help them bear children mm-hmm. uh, just kill the sons. That's right. And the midwives are like, mm, yeah, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't, right. I don't think I'm going to do It's not really that. what we do here. You've misunderstood <laughs> right? the job. I think, yes. I think you are confused. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and they're so brilliant because they actually use his own prejudice against him. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so they say, you know, they just, those women, they just give mm-hmm. birth so fast. You know, we just, mm-hmm. by the time we get there, they're just like, <laughs> Pharaoh was like, oh, okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, they, they practice, they literally are practicing civil disobedience. They are not That's honoring right. the law of the yep. king. But rather than give up, Jen, he decides, all right, well, we'll just make it an open policy. So rather than trying to do this yeah. thing silently and secretly, um, we'll just we'll just make an open law that yeah. um that these kids need to go. Um, mm. and, and the law is to drown them, is to throw them in That's the, right. in the Nile. And, um, yet another woman disobeys and it's yeah. the mother of Moses. Mm-hmm. And she's mm-hmm. like, nope, not going to do that. So she puts her son in a basket. That basket makes its way to a princess. Mm. Um, Moses sister is following the basket. Mm. And uh, when the princess opens the basket, she immediately knows what she's supposed to do. Of course. Because the Bible says, oh, she knows it's a Hebrew. Hmm. And she says it out loud. This is a Hebrew child. Right. And in that moment, she should tip over that boat. Hmm. In that moment, she should do what the law requires. She should do right. what her father said. She should follow the law That's and right. tip over the boat. But she doesn't. 
She's moved by compassion. And when Miriam sees that, Miriam jumps out of the reeds and and comes up with a plan. She's like, so yes. want me to go get somebody who could feed that baby <laughs> right. for you? <laughs> totally. <laughs> I see you found a baby. I have an idea. Yeah. I have a thought. I have yes. I know this woman who just mm-hmm. happens to be nursing. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and, so good. Right. And the princess says, go. Mm-hmm. And what I love about this, and you know, the story continues, they save Moses' life. Um, but what I love about it is that these are women from two completely different walks of life. So we have a princess who is living it up mm-hmm. in the palace, and we have mm-hmm. a slave child. Um, and these two women get together and they form a plan mm-hmm. for how to save a child against the law. Yes. How to care for him how to split the work of caring for him um, and totally defy what they are quote unquote supposed to do. For the good of history. For the good of history. Yeah. I, I love that. I've never heard anybody but you um, oh. apply that story. Yeah. Um, to our like current context in that manner. And I just love it. It's so profound. It has a thousand points of connection. You know, one of the things I really love that you point out is that it was in defiance of a law. It was the law of the land. And so sometimes now, even certainly in our recent mm-hmm. history and now, um, the law of the land gets a free pass. It gets a Christian or a spiritual That's endorsement. Right. That's right. Simply because it is. It's a law. So, I mean, yep. how can it be bad? It's a law. That's, yep. it's just the law. And yet um, so much law is born out of sin and fear. That's right. And That's right. you talked about that. In fact, you, you said as society and Christians specifically, we, we have the propensity to create enemies of people out of fear. And and then what we do is we create policy around that fear, which is the truest thing you've ever said. I mean, all you have to do is take a five second, honest assessment of the entire history of the United States (laughs) to know that we have put evil laws in place over and over and over again, power and white supremacy. I mean, that's right. We get so frequently accused of stop being so political. It's just that those policies affect human beings. I mean, it's, this is real. This is not just, this isn't partisan. It's simply human. (laughs) And Jen, we're talking about Exodus. We're talking about yes. the second book of the Bible. We're not talking about right. like, like number two, like the yes. second book of the exactly. Bible opens with the elimination of slavery. That's right. Wow. Don't tell me we're not supposed to be political. What in the world? What are you talking about? No, it makes no biblical sense. It, it makes, makes, no makes absolutely sense. no bis- biblical sense at all. It's just that is yet another silencing, silencing yep. measure. That's just right. To- Keep the um, keep everyone comfortable. Keep right. discomfort and tension at yep. bay. But I like what you say because you suggest that what is even scarier than evil policy yeah. um, centered on white supremacy is the policies no one dares to write down. Right? Yeah. That um, our our where our fear is dictating our social policies, mm-hmm. our unwritten mm-hmm. policies, the way that we're just kind of operating. So by the letter of the law, we cannot be found guilty, but this is right. the way that our systems um, are, are kept intact. And so I wonder if you could talk for a minute about those unwritten policies that undergird racism in our society and in our churches. A lot of 
of um, churches, organizations mm. um, say that they are affirming, mm-hmm. but don't clearly articulate what that means. That's good. Right. Um, and, and, and so I don't, um, I don't agree with policies that say LGBTQ people cannot be um, in a position of leadership. Right. But my God, if that's the truth, you should at least say so. I agree. I completely agree. So, um, you know, my gay friends will tell me all the time, that's why we quit going to church because the front, the front door would say, you're, you are, you are so welcome here. You arms wide open. We love you. We over love you for crying out loud. Right. Um, but then at some point the rubber meets the road, which is, um, I can teach a study. Um, I wonder if I can sign up for this leadership course. That's right. Uh, can I help lead on in worship? Um, and then all of a sudden the unwritten policy comes there forward. There you go. And there you go. It's crushing. I mean, it's, it's so devastating. devastating. I wouldn't go to church if I was gay, Hello. constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop when I yep. found out, oh, you're not actually yep. embraced. Like that, we, we want, we'll take your tithe money, but not your gifts. Whoa. You know? I'm just, I'm with Mm. you. I'm, I hear what you're saying. There's unwritten policies that deeply affect people's lives and their souls and their well being. And it's good to talk about that. It's good that we're mentioning this out loud because, um, for those of us who benefit out loud, I need you to ask yourself why, why can't you say it out loud? If it's what you honestly think, if it's what you honestly believe, if you feel like you cannot defend it, then I have some more questions for you. Great question. What are you trying to protect with with your silence around that? Because if it's your sincere conviction, well, then just let it fly, you know, and let the chips fall where they may. And so I think that's a really interesting question that you're asking. And it goes, it makes me think, all right, with that silence, what are you going to benefit? Like, what, what do you gain by not speaking just truthfully what you think, what you believe, and, and or what are you afraid of losing? And it is inherently not loving. <laughs> no, it's not loving. <laughs> it is inherently not loving. All right, guys, quick break to tell you about something I'm super excited about. So listen, if you're feeling like you spend too much, eat too much, own too much, waste too much, you might want to check out the seven experiment video series and books I developed and take the seven week challenge against excess that literally changed our family's lives permanently. And hey, if you'll use the code podcast at checkout, you'll get $10 off any package. And if you already have the book, and some of you do, we have a package for you too, and the code still counts. You can find out more about all of this at the7experiment.com. So I want to ask about this too. Um, I want to, I want to move into your book. Um, your book, I'm still here and it's, it's so good. You really did a beautiful job on it. It's so true. And it's so honest. I so appreciate you taking the time to read it. Oh, it was so good. And you're such a good writer. You're such a gifted communicator. Um, so you're able to take what is a complicated discussion mm-hmm. and, a, and your complicated lived reality your right. <laughs> and you parlay it into a really accessible book that um it it packs a punch i mean you don't mess around it's yeah. it's 
you go right at it directly, which I appreciate. I think that's really important. We don't actually have time to skirt anymore, but, um, so as you mentioned in the book, your, your first encounter with a racialized America came at age seven. Yeah. Um, when you realized why your parents named you Austin, which is interesting because it sounds like you might be like a white fraternity bro, right? (laughs) Totally. That is what people expect if they have not seen me. And they're like, and now presenting, (laughs) you're like, oh, all the faces are going, oh. (laughs) Can you, um, so, you know, obviously that was the beginning of it for you. And then continued as you grew up in sort of white majority environment, schools, orgs, church. Um, and I mean, you, you sort of had to do some super intentional work to love and own your own blackness and who you are and who you were made to be. And which obviously fueled your, your future and your, your life's work. Can you talk about that seven-year-old, um, who was learning about her name and, and how that sort of formed you? Yeah. So I think, um, I think the story of a lot of black people, again, not all, but a lot of black folks is, um, recognizing race right away. Um, so I was in classrooms, um, mm-hmm. where I realized that all the white girls hair was different from my hair. Yeah. Oh, yes. You know, like, huh, that's interesting. Um, and, and even for, <laughs> even forming racial assumptions that aren't real, but I'm trying to figure it out because I recognize difference, you know? So I go to, um, a white girl's sleepover and she's got cats everywhere and I'm like, huh, why do white people love cats so much? Right. It's different. Strange. This is this is why my mommy tells me never to eat any at the white people's house because cats are everywhere. <laughs> right? Like <laughs> so it's not being right, it's not being unaware of race. Uh, it's right. it's just that that race hasn't been assigned meaning yet. Mm. And and uh, and yes. that moment when race has been assigned meaning mm. is the jarring moment. It sure and is. for me, that was, um, so I knew that I'm, my name must have been a boy's name mm-hmm. um, because people called it out all the time, you know, and I mm-hmm. like literally I would be sitting in class and the teacher would be Austin. And back in those days when girls and guys sat on opposite sides of the room, you know, mm-hmm. and I'd have to do jumping jacks to be seen like, hello, over here, here, here. girl side, mm-hmm. girl side. <laughs> um, so I was very used to that. Sure. Um, at some point it dawned on me right there in that library. Mm. Um, that's, that there, there had to be more, like there had to be more to people's reaction than me just being a girl. Like, mm. why is this throwing people so right. much? And in this particular instance, giving the librarian my card and her asking me at least three times whether or not I'm sure of my own name. And wow. I thought, what is happening? Yeah. And so I did. I marched over to my mother and, and she said, Austin, we knew that if we gave you the name, that people would assume you're a white man. Yeah. And, and, and I remember her distinctly saying, we just had to get you to the interview. Bless it. And, and we knew once you, once you get to the interview, you'll blow everyone out of the water. You're so capable. You're so smart. You're so, 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 so. But we had to get you to the interview. Yeah. And I was like, huh. <laughs> right. That's but, a lot to take on in third grade. Like that right? is heavy. It's like, huh? Yeah. Okay. And I, I, I couldn't articulate what, as a seven-year-old, I figured out about the world, mm. except the general world, the word unjust, right? Like I, yes. like I learned so many things in her one statement, and. Mm. 
Um, so I learned that there's this thing called discrimination and I learned that there's a reason someone like that whiteness had a, a certain level of privilege. Um, yeah. and I learned, um, that I'm amazing and that mm. my parents think that once I show up, you know, that I could nail anything, you know mm. what I mean? Like, I, like she, she tried really hard to marry a hard thing and a good thing, mm. um, together for me in that moment. Um, but yeah, I think the, I think the learning just continued to play out as I continued to of understand course. what race means in America. But that was the first oh. like genuine, huh? Yeah. About the world for me. I was just interviewing for the podcast, Nicole Walters, and she is a brilliant entrepreneur and just, she's built this multi-million dollar company and mm -hmm. she worked in fortune 500 companies. She's black and her parents are immigrants from Ghana and mm -hmm. her name that she grew up with, um, even though she was born in DC, but, um, the name that they gave her was, was Nana which is a okay. Ghanaian name and it's, it signifies like princess and matriarch. Mm -hmm. It's very strong. It's a very powerful mm -hmm. name from Ghana. And she went by that her whole childhood, adolescence, and even college. And she's super brilliant. Like her credentials are undisputed. Yep. Um, and so, you know, I mean, obviously, and so she starts interviewing out of college with her amazing work and nobody will call her back with that, with her name, with that name. Yep. And she changed her name to Nicole and immediately, I mean, immediately the phone started ringing off the hook yep. and you know, that's just a minute ago. That's right now. That's today's Hello. culture. So nobody can say to us, we are in a post-racial society. <laughs> that is just willfully <laughs> obtuse. It is willfully obtuse. I mean, it's that's so what I want to get in a fight over. I want to get in a fight so over. Silly. And you know, I almost just like, I'm, I'm glad that there are folks who are still willing to get into a fight over it because <laughs> there's a whole lot of black women who are like, I'm not getting into a fight with you about this. <laughs> like, it's so true. I'm still raging. Living, I'm me. like the scrappy white girl. It's like, come, meet me out back. <laughs> taking so off mean. your feather earrings. <laughs> taking off my feathers. <laughs> I'm not even here to play. I got nothing to lose. Um, but I mean, the point is, this is right now. It's right. not in our either recent history or distant history. It's now. It's, it's still. Now. So we have work to do. This is not optional. This is not right. optional work right. if if we want to build a beautiful, flourishing community, which I think is what we want. And I, I that's one thing that I stumble on all the time, which is in an effort by white culture to preserve their own power and status. That's right. They're actually short circuiting their own selves. When, when our brothers and sisters of color of all color really are, uh, when they are oppressed in any way, when they are marginalized, when they are disadvantaged, um, when they have to work twice as hard for half as much, we're all losing. I mean, seriously, we are, our culture is losing. Definitely our church is losing. Um, that is, uh, that those voices are silenced or diminished, as you mentioned yeah. in our churches. Now we are the ones getting screwed. Honestly, like that could be such a flourishing of society, such an unleashing of gift and talent and innovation and partnership. And, and yet we're content to settle with something as boring as power. Um, and so it's our loss. 
power is so sexy. So sexy. So sexy. And it brings so much. It brings money and it brings book contracts and it brings fame and it brings, you know, like it just brings so much. Power is sexy. And it, it promises, it promises a lot. And to some degree it can deliver. I mean, that's what you just said. To some degree it can deliver, but I think the costs and the losses are worse and they're a little bit more invisible. Um, and I just, I, I think the collective possibility when we are equally honored, equally recognized, equally elevated, equally paid, Um, we don't even know that possibility. We've never seen it. We've literally never experienced it. That's right. And you know, in smaller ways, Jen, uh, oftentimes we assume that it's happening. So I I have a girlfriend, um, like I said, lots of people who are like vocalists and in the church world. And I have a girlfriend in particular who, um, was singing for a conference Mm-hmm. And, um, and she was like calling one of the other speakers for the conference. And she was like, oh my gosh, I'm having trouble getting there. I'm to the airport. Um, I just, you know, trying to figure out who can pick me up and who can drop me off or if I should just leave my car, you know, for the nights that I'm gone or, you know, just don't know what to do. And, <laughs> and the other speaker, so this is a black woman vocalist talking, the white woman who's the speaker says, oh, well, why don't you just have your driver come get you? Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> My girlfriend was like, <laughs> record scratch. <"What?" laughs> <Right>. Totally. <laughs> and the wise speaker said, Yeah, isn't that in your contract to just have a driver uh, get you to and from? And yeah. she was like, Uh, no. This is a great point you're making. A really, really great point. Right? But she, re- but the speaker didn't know. She genuinely she had know. no idea that their contracts were not we the same thing. That's right. I recently read a story about, you may have seen it, Jessica Chastain and Octavia. Yes. Um, read that where oh. um, Jessica was asking Octavia, well, what are you getting paid? It was so significantly less yep. that she said, we will not work until we're getting paid. The That's pay. what I'm talking about. It was powerful. That is solidarity. It is solidarity. Isn't that so much better than you and I going to get coffee, Jen? It's better. Right? It is better. <laughs> so much better. Like you and I are going to walk into a room and we're going to use our power together and we're going to raise what women um, are worth, are, are yeah. valued at. We are, and I am going to help you make sure that you are valued in this industry to the degree that you should be. Isn't that so much more exciting than some coffee? Yeah, it is. It's it's absolutely worth whatever we all have to push through. Um, yeah. Anger, defensiveness, unforgiveness, shame. It's worth it. Yeah. Let it go. No, no it, there's something the better on the it. other side. Think about it. What a what a beautiful culture if that right? were the norm. Golly, what, what potential would just be unleashed on the world? It makes me excited to think about it. Um, you, you've, you've got some strong words for white middle-class evangelicals and I'm here for it. I like it. And you know, it's interesting because I'm just, I'm in the bullseye, right. Of privilege, absolute bullseye. I'm going to have blonde hair for crying out loud. Well, it's not real. It's dyed, but 
I dye my hair blonde. <laughs> it's great. More or less privilege. <laughs> exactly. My privilege allows me to get my hair dyed. Um, so I, I'm just so like deeply aware of how much um, favor comes yeah. my way just yep. because of what I look like yep. and, and who I am. And it's a lot. Like it's a lot, frankly. And, um, I'm just so, I'm, I want you to know that I'm listening. I'm listening so hard to what you're saying and I'm paying attention to my role in it as a person who has got a fair amount of influence in my own sphere of mm-hmm. power, um, and, um, disproportionate favor, which is yeah. not tied to merit. It's just tied to right. whiteness. Yep. Um, and so I, I, you, you talk about how, um, evangelicalism, specifically white evangelicalism, um, has participated in what you call an era of rising racial hostility. Can you talk about what you're seeing here? I read in history books about church bombings. Hmm. I read in history books, um, about, assassinations of, of, um, black leaders. I read in history books, right. Um, I never, ever, ever really like really thought that in my lifetime, a white supremacist would walk into a black Mm -hmm. church and kill people. Right. I thought that was the stuff of history books, Jen. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I, didn't believe in a post-racial America, mm. but I didn't know we were still capable of that. That's right. And um, was it just last summer that a white supremacist rant like drove into a group of people That's and right. killed someone? Yep. It sure was. Um, and really should have killed more, right? Yeah. I mean, when you really think about that. Um, Girl, it was just last summer. Yeah. I, Jen, the fact that yeah. of all places, the church has not been completely and totally and utterly outraged and started yes. multiple campaigns for racial justice and healing and understanding and what 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 so so that's the large right that's supposed to be the obvious stuff jen Hmm. right don't we always say you know race just isn't the the kkk those aren't the only racists don't we say that because that's supposed to be the extreme (laughs) that's supposed to be a clear sign that something is definitely wrong here i know it And there has been no mobilization around those. So we had, what, a couple marches in Mm. the particular cities where those things happened. And then what? The church went about Mm. its business? Did anybody hire people of color because of that? Did anybody Mm. start new programming because of that? Mm. Did anybody, like, where was was the national church Mm. campaign that said, this is unacceptable. Let's start teaching black history. Let's start teaching about white supremacy. Let's start teaching, right? 
I just say that to say like, like, yes, there are things that are happening right now, right? The way we talk about immigration, um, mm -hmm. the way we talk about Black Lives Matter, um, the way we talk yeah. about kneeling and protests, right? Like there That's are right. rising racial hostilities that are absolutely happening no right doubt. now. But to, uh, but I don't want to discount the fact that they have been happening. Um, yeah, that's right. That's in true. Our, in our recent history, you know what I mean. And that's what I want to try and get at is that white evangelical Christians have been a part of rising racial hostilities. That's right. right? Not just a part of them now, um, but have been a part of them. Yeah. You know, it's interesting as a a leader who has some influence and I am generally disposed to speak my mind. Um, <laughs> yep. you know, when I kind of look back over my, um, public, uh, the public reaction to things that I have said, <laughs> uh, have you noticed there's been a public reaction? There's, there's a bit, um, the only, uh, it, it's almost equal. I, I think the thing that people, uh, the Christian community specifically yeah. um, resists the most is my um, defense of the LGBTQ community. But I'm telling you, not one sliver, not a sliver behind it in intensity and in right. anger and fury and in rejection is my defense of Black Lives Matter. I mean, absolutely. Ooh. It's just furious. I, I, th those are the only two categories that even come re remotely close to matching. And, and that tells me something because the majority of my followers are white Christians. There you go. And so that, that, that sort of, um, discussion taps into such, I mean, really unbridled fury <laughs> tells us I know it does. we are a part of the problem. That's right. This, that's right. This church is not a healing force. The church That's is right. not a healing force. And too often the church is recreating those old narratives, right? Is repeating that history that never happened. <laughs> That's it. We got some work to do, sis. And, um, you know, we've got a, we got a, a path in front of us, but I think the way forward is together, like you mentioned, and mm -hmm. in solidarity and in courage and in sharing platforms and in elevating one another. And, um, and, and that excites me, that energizes me because I think, golly, where, where do I go? Where, where do I fit? What's my space here? And I think, well, you have the space. You have. Oh my goodness. So not you in particular. I mean, we could talk about you. Um, but I, that's, a, that's a question that I get a lot. That's why I wanted yeah. to come back to it, um, because white people who recognize that they've been lied to them their whole lives mm. and whose worldviews are shifting and who are mm -hmm. learning about history and um, who have black children who are, you know what I mean, um, yeah. who, who are in some ways being forced to look at these issues far mm. more deeper than the soundbite. Mm. Um, they come up to me and they say, mm. well, Austin, what do I do? Mm -hmm. Right. What do I do now? And I know there's going to be a lot of people who are really angry at my book because I don't tell them what to do now. Mm -hmm. And and the reason that I don't, Jen, this is what I say every single time somebody asks me this question. I have no idea what the hell you should do, but you should do something. That's good. That's good. You can't speak right? to them. You can't. <laughs> right. Like you, this is a path you have to find and it will depend on your social location. 
It will depend on um, your giftedness, on your spiritual Mm -hmm. gifts. It will depend on um, what you're doing right now. It will depend on your hobbies, right? So what I would tell you to do is going to be very different from what I would tell a police officer to do. Of course. It's very different from what I would tell a pastor to do. It's Mm -hmm. very different from what I would tell, right? Um, Other authors to do. Like all of those things are so different, but you can do something. Yes. And it's your job to figure out what the something is and to let that something lead to more and more somethings. So good. You know, that is so good. And it matters. It really does. Like, I'm, I'm thinking about the person listening at kind of at step one. Yeah. Just thinking, oh gosh, will it even make a difference? Like, if I, if I take these first steps, will it even matter? Right. It will. That's the thing it does. And sometimes the first bit of transformation ends up being in your own heart. Um, And so maybe that's an internal shift that just takes a while because it does. Like we don't get to, I don't get to be 43 years old and then turn on a dime. There's so much unlearning to do (laughs) and relearning so much dismantling and rebuilding. It's long, it's slow. It's slow and it's bumbly and it's fumbly. And, and all along the way, I'll say the wrong thing. I'll do the wrong thing. I'll assume the wrong thing. And so it's just, you kind of just fail forward. And you'll be corrected. And you'll be corrected, which I'm grateful for, but you are correct. But there are (laughs) so many people who aren't grateful for the correction. No, I'm grateful for the correction. And I just want to like, listen, I just want to shake people and be like, if there is someone who is still correcting you, it means they still have hope for you. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. You know, like when I stop talking to you, it's because I have lost hope in you. Jen, if I never talk to you again, you need to know that it's because (laughs) I've been like, Jen is not as serious as I thought she was. I thought she was on board. (laughs) I really like that. I like that. I, I think there is not a way for a white person to stay connected to this work without constantly revisiting their own personal humility and, and just this sense of what I am in this space. I am not a, I'm not the one with the voice or I'm not the speaker, you know, we're accustomed to being that's, you know, I get to walk in a room and be the one that gets to talk. And you know what? Humility in so many ways is the opposite of white supremacy. That is, it's the polar opposite. They are enemies actually of each other. And so they can't both exist. They cannot. And so hanging on with both hands, like through tears with that humility, but saying I'm here as a learner and a listener, it'll change everything. And once our hearts are changed, once our souls are changed, once our social, um, understanding has been changed, our historical understanding, then anything is possible. And don't you feel freer? Oh my gosh. Like, like I've when, never been white, so I've never had to go. You haven't. You know what I'm that's saying? So, true. so much freer. I, I see white folks who are like in that place of anger and frustration, right? Like you say the phrase black lives matter. And there's yeah. this outpouring yes. of anger and animosity and frustration. And, you know, I've been on the receiving end of that, you of know, I've been a speaker and some, you know, tall white guy gets up mm. and uses all of his six foot, whatever, to mm. lean over me and tell me about how wrong I am. Yes. Gosh. That compared to what you and I are doing right now, because yeah. you have, humil- you know what I mean? Like the difference between someone who is stuck and who is holding on to all that crap and someone who is letting it go yeah. is night and day. You're right. You're right. And it's important. 
Yeah. It matters. And people watch that. It, it bears a, it bears a credible witness for Jesus. And, yeah. Hello. and it, and also who else is watching are our kids are right. and their friends. The next generation is That's paying right. attention. So we get one shot at this. I mean, really we get one shot at our moment as sort of the leaders in our generation, um, yep. to do this well and to do it right, to do it the way Jesus would have us to do it. And so, yeah. And there are too many white people who believe that the work is done. And oh so, and, and therefore by default, teach the next generation that what we're doing right now is okay. You're right. Um, I want to tell you this before we wrap up, yeah. you are a very powerful and important leader in this space. And I don't know if you wanted this, I don't know if you don't want it, but I'm so grateful that you said yes to this work, um, mm -hmm. and to this leadership. And I know that it's hard. This is exhausting, frustrating work. And to some degree, we're not going to see its full fruits in our lifetime. Right. You know, right. we're not, we're, right. we're, we're hopefully going to pass off a healthier, more mm -hmm. whole mm -hmm. culture to our kids. But in mm -hmm. our lifetime, I don't think we're going to see the end of it, no, but, I agree. but you're still doing it and you're yeah. showing up and you're telling the truth. And, um, and it matters, Austin, and it's really profound to watch. And and I count you as one of my favorite and most trusted and treasured leaders. I listen to read everything you write. I listen to everything you say. And I believe you and I'm following you. And so um, I'm grateful for what I know it costs you. I know, mm. I know that it does. And some of those are seen and some of those costs are unseen, but I know they're all there. And so just... I, I thank you for your service you. to Jesus and to the church and to our kids and to each mm -hmm. other. And I'm really proud of what you do and really, I respect it so much. And so listen, I'm going to ask you just a couple, just one more question. Yeah. We wrap it up and would love to hear, and I, I don't even know if I've prepped you for this. So just, you just, whoever comes to mind, I'm wondering <laughs> okay. if you will leave us with yeah. either, either a quote from a mm. leader who you love, a spiritual leader who you love, or, or mm -hmm. it could be a scripture that sort of epitomizes your life's work, something you have even found, mm. found mm -hmm. um, that kind of inspires you to just keep going. Oh, man. Um, so the first person that comes to mind is um, Ida B. Wells, mm. because she wrote um, about lynchings during a time when the narrative around what was happening with lynchings mm. was not true. Yes. Um, and she made it her life's work to insert some truth into what was happening and mm. in, in ways that today would be considered bold writing. Yeah. Uh, and in one of one of her um, writings called um, Southern Horrors, I'm going to get this quote a little bit wrong, okay. um, but she says something to the degree that um, um, the the um, black people are more sinned against than they are sinning. Hmm. Wow. And and someone needs to say so, and it has fallen upon me to do so. Wow. That's so um, powerful. Right. And so I got that a little backwards, but um, I, I really feel like particularly in this Christian conversation, and I don't know that she meant specifically Christians, mm -hmm. but because she used the word sinning for me, yeah. that right immediately awakens of something course. in me. Um, 
And I think there are so many conversations that essentially boil down to Black folks are sinning, Black folks are yes. bad, Black folks That's are right. pathological, That's Black right. folks are bad, Black folks are wrong, right? And it's yeah. not that we're perfect, right? My job is not to say, um, no, actually, Black people are perfect beings. Mm-hmm. Um, my job is to point out how Black folks have been sinned against so more good. than they've been sinning. And so, oh, yeah, it's dang. it's her words and her work Ooh. that propels me forward. I yeah. have goosebumps. Mm-hmm. That is strong. That is, mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link. I'll link up to her work as well. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Uh, that's fabulous. All right, listen, will you tell everybody um, how they can find you, how they can get involved in what you're doing, all of that? Yeah, yeah. so I'm on the Twitters um, yep. at Austin Channing. Same thing with IG at Austin Channing. Um, on Facebook, it's my full name, which is Austin Channing Brown. Um and this year, I really hope that we'll be doing some fun stuff, Jen. I've got this book coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a, a little video series that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. So I hope people can actually watch um, me have conversations about race. Hint, hint, hint. Yep. Um, <clears throat> there might uh-huh. be a special guest um, who I'm people. really excited to talk about. <laughs> Somebody might be in the series with you. I don't Somebody know. I'm just saying it's probably going to be a really great episode. I think there are going to be some fabulous earrings. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can't so, wait. Yeah, I hope there will be a lot of things unfolding, but the big thing for sure um, is going to be this book, which comes out in May. I'm May. still here. It's so soon. So everybody listening, I'm going to have every bit of this linked on my website, um, all of Austin's social channels, the book, which you want, want to pre-order this minute, um, and all the other spaces. You'll be so glad. Okay, sister. Hey, thank you for being on today. My what pleasure. a great like hour just passed it's in a so minute good. for me. It, did. it really did. Just in a minute. Okay. So next time we'll be at your house filming <laughs> something for your space. I love yeah, it. Let's just keep trading. The baby will be present. Oh my gosh. If you think I'm not going to hold your baby, you need to, you need to go ahead and settle in your spirit that I'm going to love that baby so hard the whole time I'm there. Don't, I am going to get on your Facebook page and tell everyone that you don't love babies as much as you say you do. Oh my gosh. I cannot even wait. I cannot wait. All right. Thanks for being on today. So good, Jen. Love that girl. Love her. Love her. Smart, funny, delightful. Um, important leader. So I hope you like that conversation. And I understand that some of our conversations in this series are just going to rub, they're going to create tension. And that's just great. That is wonderful. I'm happy to hear it. <laughs> I, um, I'm glad for that. I think this is a provocative series and it's good because faith should be. And some questions are just hard and some spaces are difficult and challenging like racial equality and reconciliation. And so um, I thank you for sticking with us through it, like saying I'm just committed to, um, to staying in, in the tension and holding on to it and listening and learning even when it even when it rubs and so I am um, grateful to Austin for the gifts that she brings to bear on this earth so you guys keep coming back I'm telling you this series is all over this all over the spectrum so if you haven't yet heard a faith leader sort of in the space that you occupy or that you're interested in just keep coming back 
where we've got activists and we have contemplatives and we have rebels and we have evangelicals. I mean, it's all sort of in the mix here. Um, and so I hope by the end of it, we'll have a really broad and beautiful example of what the body of Christ looks like. So um, thanks for being here. I will um, absolutely see you next week. And I'm so grateful as always to bring you this show, to bring you these amazing people, to put good conversations in front of us and thankful that you listen. Also, thank you for subscribing. Thank you for rating and reviewing the podcast. That's just so good for podcasts, you guys. So anytime you take two minutes to do that, that matters to to all of us out here. So um, we appreciate you so much and and love having you here and I'll see you next week. Hey guys, we're back for another segment of Jen's favorite things. This is the part of the show where I share about some wonderful companies that are producing amazing products and giving back to charitable organizations and really worthy nonprofits. Plus they have exclusive discounts and extras just for you, our podcast listeners. So here are today's favorites. So bear soaps, the bear soap sampler pack is the perfect Mother's Day gift. Comes with four samples of their top selling handmade bars all in this branded cotton bag and it gives back to women. So use the code GINHATMAKER15 for 15% off at bear-soaps.com. Allison and Aubrey is an affordable on-trend jewelry line by mother-daughter duo, Allison and Aubrey Lombatis, to encourage women to borrow and bond over their love of style and accessories. So get 15% off with code FORTHELOVE15 at allisonandaubrey.com. That's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed this chat. Be sure to subscribe to my mom's podcast and give it a thumbs up rating if you like it. From the whole Hatmaker family, I hope you have a great week and see you next time.